You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 9. Zayda Moisha Nothing. Zilch. Nada. I have no memento, no picture, nor any other item directly relating to my great-grandparents Morris and Deborah Diamond. All I have is their genes and their surname. My name is Matthew Diamond. At various times, people have asked me if it's a stage name. No. If I'm related to Neil. No. Legs. Definitely not. Or occasionally John. A proud yes. The trouble is that while I spent a large part of my life growing up around Ginswicks from my paternal grandma's side, or Hillers and Fruchts from my mum's side, the diamond heritage remains an enigma. I know that in an ideal world, surnames shouldn't matter, but it's only as I've got older, or the generation above me has died away, that I regret never growing up surrounded by a wider family of diamonds. I have so many questions I wish I'd asked my father, a common manifestation of grief and ageing perhaps. So the only diamonds I have ever met are in my immediate family. For all I know, there is an entire close-knit community of diamond relatives out there, all wondering at get-togethers whatever happened to the family of their great-uncle Alf. You know, the one who ran away from home and lived in a doss house. Among his newspaper columns and scribblings, my brother John wrote a weekly op-ed for the Jewish Chronicle, back in the days when it could still be considered a serious publication. You'll get an idea of the tone of his column when I tell you that when the editor invited him to write for the JC, he immediately replied by email, My mother thought you'd never ask. His weekly column made him a hero or a villain to his readers, depending on their feelings about God, he was resolutely agnostic, or the state of Israel, he had issues. But when he passed away in 2001, it seemed from their pages as if the entire Jewish community felt his loss, and various people claiming kinship contacted my parents via the paper. None of them proved genuine. So I did some research of my own on Morris Diamond in the National Archive at Kew, and discovered a few facts and surprises. The 1911 census shows that he emigrated to Britain from Lodz in Poland, married Deborah in London and raised four sons, Jack, Harry, my grandfather Abraham, or Alf, and Isaac. The census also shows a baby I never knew about, Sarah, who died in infancy. The more detailed story told to me about Morris, or Zayda Moisha, Grandpa Morris, as my dad knew him, is that he became a property developer and in 1909 was elected a Tory councillor in Stepney, back when the East End still elected Tory councillors. More specifically, he owned a chain of theatres and cinemas in and around East London, one of the most fondly remembered being the Palaceum on Commercial Road. This once magnificent citadel of entertainment seated a thousand punters and began life in 1912 as Feynman's Yiddish Theatre. Within a year, the commercial advantages of showing films saw it repurposed as a cinema. As a child, my father used to sometimes go there on Saturday afternoons if he'd overspent his pocket money on sweets and couldn't afford the more opulent Troxy. The Palaceum closed in 1966 
with a showing of Elvis Presley in Girls, 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 by which time it had long fallen into flea pit territory. A few years later it reopened, showing exclusively Salvation films until its demolition in 1985. A Tesco Express now occupies the site. Morris's involvement in the Palaceum only just saw out the end of the Great War. In 1913, his wife, my great-grandma Deborah, died of cancer and he increasingly took to drink. He was, according to my grandpa, already a violent and brutal father and the booze only made this worse. In his teens, grandpa ran away from home, found work as an office boy and lived in Roughton House, a homeless hostel on Whitechapel Road, while studying accountancy at evening classes. Booze and fast living eventually did for Morris's business, and by the late 20s he depended on his sons to keep him financially, with an unspoken proviso that they could have as little to do with him as possible. I'm speculating that the brothers' estrangement from Morris had the knock-on effect of creating a certain estrangement from each other. I don't believe they were ever at daggers drawn, but equally, with no parents to unite them, there was never a sense that the four siblings had much in common. So they drifted apart into their own, hopefully fulfilled lives. Of the three other brothers, the only stories I know concern my oldest great-uncles Jack and Harry. Jack, the eldest son, built up a dairy and milk delivery business in Bethnal Green and had the bright idea of replacing the cardboard tops on milk bottles with ones made from aluminium foil, an innovation swiftly copied by dairies everywhere. Harry was a trade union official in the London docks. He must have been very good because most dockers in that part of the East End, along with the entire union and political machine, were Irish. However, because he had the diminutive, ruddy countenance of a cheerful leprechaun, they thought that even though he was Jewish, he looked Irish, and nicknamed him Patsy Diamond. In 1919, the East End Dockers went on strike, and when both sides were ready to talk, they needed Harry to negotiate on their behalf. But no one could find him, because, this being Yom Kippur, he was at the synagogue all day, atoning for his sins. In his place, they found a sharp-elbowed young official from Bristol called Ernest Bevin, who negotiated so effectively that he quickly rose to become head of the union before entering mainstream politics. This family story always ended with, and if Uncle Harry hadn't been in shul that day, he would have become foreign secretary. As a boy... My father remembered occasional trips to see Zayda Moshe, a rather forbidding old man, with the promise of tea and cakes at Lyons Corner House if he behaved himself. There was not much happy chatter during these visits, he recalled. Dad couldn't remember Morris's funeral, but definitely attended the tombstone setting, the grave consecration ceremony held exactly a year after a Jewish burial. It is usual on such occasions for a family member to say a few kind informal words at the graveside once the stone is in place. In Morris's case, nothing was decided. So everyone stood for a while in awkward silence until Uncle Jack stepped forward and gave the stone a swift kick. Nice bit of slate, he nodded approvingly. And the family went their separate ways. 
That was Zayda Moisha, written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this story, then don't forget to hit like and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll see you next time.